0: super pumped that you are here. I believe that you're here for a reason and I believe that God has this message for us for a particular reason and so I'm excited to give it. Um, I was thinking about just uh, we're getting ready to get into a time of transition here soon, right? Is anybody ready for school to start? Parents? I heard some parents holler, okay? Just a few of you though. I figured I'd have more parents holler at that. Um, My daughter is shaking her head no. Um, which I would expect. Um, so I have mixed emotions. I love having them home because I see them more and, and, I, and I get to do more things with them. But it's exhausting. I mean, by the end of the night, we just, Jasmine and I don't have much left in the tank and we're just ready to go to sleep. So um, kids kids, I know have the opposite feeling. They're like, oh, this is great. I get to sleep in and I get to stay up late and I don't have any responsibilities or very few. Um, and I think that that maybe... We do summer because it, it makes us good at transition. It helps us get used to transitions, right? We, we, As kids, we transition out of school into summer, and we think that's great, and, and then we have to transition into something that's it's good, but it's not as great like, like, like school, right? So we get good at going into things that maybe we're not terribly excited about, and, <clears throat> and that's what this series is all about. That we're, we're in right now. So Kevin kicked the series off a couple of weeks ago. It's called in transit. It's all about transition um, It's all about people in the Bible that we read about that have gone through massive transitions and just how they've responded to it How they've interacted with God through it um, It's it's people that have been through times of pain times of disappointment joy, you know highs and lows both uh, But definitely times of disappointment failure and and great uncertainty uh, which means we have a lot in common with these people, right? Because just because they're people in the Bible doesn't mean that they're not exactly the same as you and I. Uh, we all go through the exact same stuff. We're going through times of pain and disappointment, sometimes failure, uncertainty. Um, today we're actually going to look at somebody who is, uh, I, a little bit later I'll probably say this again, but he's on the Mount Rushmore of our faith, and that's Abraham. Um, uh, Paul referred to Abraham as the father of all those that believe. Of course God is our, our true Father, our heavenly Father, but the reason that Paul said this about Abraham is because it is through Abraham that God set out on his plan to redeem and fix the world. Um, in, in short, the story goes a little something like this, God created a perfect world and instead of following his ways, right we choose to follow our own ways and we made a mess of the world and the world descends into chaos and and it's through Abraham that God says, okay, I'm going I'm to take this guy, I'm going to take this family, and I'm going to fix what you guys broke, and it's going to be great. So here's how all that started. Um, we're going to read from Genesis 12, 1 through 4. So if you want to follow along, if you like doing that, feel free. Um, in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, it says this, The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had instructed, and Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. So there's a lot of things in those verses to unpack, but we're really going to focus on just two things this morning, And, and that is that Abraham gets a call and he gets a promise from God. It's easy to just breeze through this, I think, and, and and read it and say, okay, well, Abraham, or God told Abraham to leave and he left. Big deal. Or, or also to think, well, of course he went. I mean, God pro- basically promised him the world, right? But this is all a, a really big deal for Abraham. It is not something simple. It was not an easy decision, I don't think. It wasn't something that was just like, snap your fingers and go. Because If you really look at the context and and unpack it a little bit, you'll see how big of a deal it is. So here's what Abraham left. He left um, a place called Ur. I know that's a very strange sounding town. We don't have any towns named that anymore, Um, but it was a big deal. Uh, U-R is how it's spelled. In that time, Ur was the center of everything in this part of the world. Uh, So think Chicago of the Midwest. Not as big, not as heavily populated, but the center of everything. In this area a booming place and clearly Abraham's family was was prospering right because it talks in several places about how many uh, livestock he had and how many workers he had and so Abraham was doing fine and even when they left earth to go on to the next place they went to this place called Haran which is kind of a traveling stopover so it's it's on the Euphrates River so it's a busy spot a lot of people are traveling through there it's so it's nice it's got a lot of a lot of the day's best things um, So Abraham and his family are not only leaving two great places, but they're leaving their families, their relatives, everything they've ever known, and the security of the wealth that they know that they have there. And they're leaving for? They have absolutely no idea what they're leaving for. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They just have this promise that they're going to be made into a great nation. Abraham doesn't have a place, but he has a promise, and it's a pretty good promise God tells Abraham that he'll make him a great nation, that he'll be famous, that he'll be blessed, and that if anybody messes with him, right, God says he'll curse those people. So Abraham probably feels pretty protected. It's not really any promise. It's, it's probably, that's going to be a lot of peace. It is the promise of all promises that Abraham gets. So probably that makes Abraham's decision easier, I would imagine, but still. What assurances does, it, does Abraham have? What assurances does he, does he have? How well does he know God and, and what God's going to do? At the time, um, one of the things that we need to remember about what's going on right here with Abraham is that during this day, uh, people w- worshipped many gods. They were not loyal to one God. They were loyal to many. And so it's hard to know what kind of relationship Abraham had with God before he got this calling. Uh, but we know that he most likely had divided loyalty because most everybody of the day did. When we read about Abraham, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to get amazed by Abraham's faith. Because if God came to me and said, hey, I want you to pack up everything you know, and I want you to move to, I don't know, India, I would not say, okay, let's go. I would not say that. I would have a lot of questions. I would stew. I would argue. I would fight. I would, a lot of things. But I, w- I definitely wouldn't just go like Abraham did. So Abraham t- takes up and goes, and he, and he does it with very little information. Um, Abraham's trust in God is, is just amazing, and it's easy to just get floored by it. But at the same time, Abraham wasn't anywhere close to perfect, right? If we've, if we've read Genesis 12 through 19, we know that Abraham is not a perfect person. He makes a lot of mistakes. For starters, okay, He gets to the land that God promises him. God says, yep, you're here. And then there's a famine. And so to protect themselves, they have to go to Egypt. And what's the first thing that Abraham does when he gets to Egypt? Anybody remember? What's the first thing Abraham does when he gets to Egypt? He lies. lies. Yes. He tells everybody that his wife is his sister. (laughs) It's a pretty common thing, right? So... He does that because his wife is beautiful, Sarah. She's beautiful. And he is worried. He's protecting his own hide. He is worried that the king is going to kill him and take his wife. And so instead of saying, hey, this is my beautiful wife, he says, this is my my sister. And so Pharaoh takes her in to his house. And, And who knows what could have happened if God wouldn't have stepped in and protected her and him. And he protects this whole promise. But, but that's my point. Like, that's a pretty boneheaded move to just go ahead and say, yeah, it's my sister, and go ahead and take her. No big deal. Um, so, <laughs> I'm not sure if he said that, but you get the point. Um, not at all a good decision. And that's not the only one. To top it off, he actually does that again later on to a different guy, but he does the same thing again. He doesn't learn from his mistake. Um, It doesn't, and here's the thing about Abraham, that doesn't make him any less important in the history of our faith, right? He is still the father of all of those of of us that believe. It doesn't make him um, less important. It just makes him human, right? It makes him just like you and me, uh, which is what he is. He's a human being, and he's prone to all the same things that we are. Um, We are prone to make decisions that are just driven by self-preservation, just like Abraham. And we're also prone to something else that Abraham struggled with all the time, and that's doubt. Abraham doubted. We're talking about how great his faith is and how he did things without really, you know, fretting over them. He just went. But Abraham had his doubts. God promised Abraham uh, that he would be a great nation. And, and, and so before they left Haran, Abraham's 75 years old. And not only that, but his wife, Sarah, is barren, right? She, did, she can't have children. Uh, the promise of descendants was the hardest one for Abraham to trust. And, and we see him question that a lot, right? He questions it. Uh, the first place he questions it is in Genesis 15, 2, where he says, He says, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all these blessings when I don't even have a son? Uh, Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. And so he questions God. He argues with God about this. And and God just continues to reassure him. He says, no, I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. And and Abraham, it says Abraham believes him after this. Well, then some more time passes. And now Abraham's 86 years old. And he still has no son. And at this point, his wife, Sarah, she's just like, this isn't going to happen. There's no way this is possible. So here's my servant. You take her. Have your heir through her since I can't have children. And, and, and Abraham's like, okay. And so he does. So he sleeps with his wife's servant. And by the way, that is not incredibly strange for, the, for this time in, in history Marriage contracts back then were about providing heirs, and so there were many times things written into marriage contracts that said if the wife couldn't provide an heir, then they would provide a way for an heir to be there. So it, it seems very strange to us, but during this time in the world, it was not that strange. Um, still not a decision that I think most of us would make, right? So anyway, so he ends up having a son through his wife's servant, Ishmael. Now fast forward to when Abraham is 99, 99 years old. God shows up again. He says, hey, you're going to have a son. This time, Sarah hears this and laughs. She's laughing at God. And you can imagine why, right? She's barren. She can't have any children. She's 99 years old. A lot of reasons to question. Not only the fact, not only that, but for 24 years, she's been hearing this this tale that she's going to have children. And it still hasn't happened. So, of course, she's going to question that. But... Of course, what happens at 100 years old, Sarah has a child, and his name is Isaac, and Abraham finally has his heir. The promise that Abraham had doubted finally came true, because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And that's not even the end of the story. Sometime later, God comes to Abraham again, and he says, Hey, you know that son that I promised you for 25 years that you just had? I want you to take him to the top of the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. And here's the other crazy thing. Now, that sounds crazy, but here's the other crazy thing is Abraham's like, okay, let's go. And so Abraham takes his son to the mountaintop. He puts him on the altar. And just before he is to lower the knife on his son, the son that God promised him, the son that he fretted over, the son that the redemption of the world is riding on, just before he brings that knife down, God stops him. An angel of the Lord stops him, right? Talk about the ultimate testing of somebody's faith. Um, and just more evidence of how much Abraham trusted God, right? Um, so I took you through this, this story of Abraham, of, of Abraham's life. And I know it was a little bit long, and, and, and most of you have probably heard it so many times that you were about to fall asleep. I was looking really closely just to see how you guys were doing. I saw a couple of eyes rolling back in heads, but not too many. So you guys are still with me. I'm glad. Okay. So what we're going to do now is talk about how this applies to us as, fo- as, as followers of Christ. Like how does this apply to our lives? Abraham gets a calling from God. He gets a promise from God and he goes. And as he goes, he makes mistakes. He has his doubts, but he keeps moving forward. He keeps moving forward. And by the end of his life, we see that he has an unquestioning, unwavering trust in God. Abraham's faith was not pretty at all, but he kept moving forward. That's what I want us to remember today. Our faith doesn't have to be pretty, but it's got to keep moving forward. And one of the things is I've reread this, and I've reread Abraham's life story probably too many times, but as I've reread it, I think that I've got a new takeaway this time in it, and it's this one. And I think this is the most applicable thing for us today. The way that Abraham followed God. He followed God first. That was the first thing he did. He followed, and the more he followed, the more he came to know about God, and the more that he knew about God, the more that he trusted God. He followed, he knew, he trusted. I think that we have a lot of things in common with Abraham, because just like him, you know, he got a calling and a promise, and we did too. We have a calling and a promise. And everybody's heard this, I'm sure, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Where Jesus is with his disciples for one of the last times, and he says to them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our calling as disciples, as followers of Christ, is to go and make disciples. It's to teach other people about Jesus, right? No mystery there. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are Christ's ambassadors about ambassadors they represent right foreign ambassadors represent their government and that's what we are to be for christ representatives ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god whether we like it or not god is making his appeal to the to the world through us we are his plan a he doesn't have a plan b we're it we're his plan so we are commanded to love God, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to point people to Jesus as we go, as we do it, right? And I know I've made all of this sound really, really simple, and it's not. It's not simple at all. But here come the promises, right? We're not alone. God, Jesus says that, we are, that he's going to be with us until the very end of the age, and that's not the only promise that we get. We also get promised another helper, right? John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus says this, if you love me... Obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we get this same Holy Spirit that Jesus is telling his disciples about. We don't have to do this This. Sharing our faith with other people, this pointing people to Jesus, loving people, as our, as loving our neighbors as ourselves. We don't have to do all of that on our own. We have the ultimate helper. And of course, that's not the end of the promises, right? In some ways, Abraham got a big promise, and I think we got a multitude of promises. Jesus makes us right with God through his sacrifice, and so we are fully adopted sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. We have a, fa- a new father, we have a new family. Us sitting right here. We got a new family. We are God's children, as we sang about this morning, and we are promised eternal life forever with God. And that's not even the whole story, because that's just the future stuff. There's stuff today that we get promised too. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. John ten ten. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give to you. So not only has Jesus promised us that he'll be with us, not only did he promise the Holy Spirit, not only does he promise us eternal life, but he has also promised those that follow him, right? those that follow him and follow his purposes, he's promised us things that that only he can give us on this earth, in this life. Those are things that, like peace and life and joy and contentment, things that we think we can find through other means, right? We always try to make ourselves happy and content in other ways. Maybe we think, gosh, maybe if I just had a better relationship, or maybe if this was true of my marriage, or maybe if I got that promotion or that house, or if I got to go on the vacation that that person got to go on, man, my life would be great. I'd be set. I'd be content. I would find peace. But we never find contentment that way because there's always more to have and more to get and more that somebody else has that we don't. Like Abraham, we stumble and we doubt. And that's okay because our faith doesn't have to be pretty either. It just has to keep moving forward. God's promises are not there to be taken away too. I know it sounds like that, right? It's like, hey, go do this and I'll give you this. It sounds a little bit like well, if I don't do this, then I'm not getting that. And, and that's not how it's, I don't want us to read it that way. I don't want to hear it that way because that's not, God's not dangling it there to take it away if we don't do what he wants. His promises are there for us to hold fast, for us to hold fast to in times of uncertainty. When we mess up, when we doubt, when times are good, when times are bad, we can trust God's promises, Right? We can trust God's promises. To me, the reason, the number one reason that we can trust God's promises is because of who he is and what he has done. And and I don't think it's said any better than in Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were utterly utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God sent his own son to die for you and for me. He knew every bad choice that we would make, the worst things about us. And yet he still sent Jesus to die for you and for me. And that to me is the greatest evidence of all that he can be trusted. And that's and that's evidence that Abraham did not have, right? Abraham did not have The scripture to read and to memorize, and those promises that to all the promises that we have to hold fast to. He didn't have Jesus, he acted without the evidence. And that brings us to our final point, and really the crux of our morning this morning. Um, We have some things in common with Abraham, but we have some things that are not quite in sync with Abraham. We have some ways that we're different than Abraham. There is one big difference, really, and that's what we're going to focus on for a minute. Um, I like to think of it not as, a, um, not as a bad thing, but as an opportunity. As an opportunity for us to be different here at Finding Life Church. I think that, and I believe that one of our biggest challenges as followers of Christ today is that we, t- we tend to approach our faith in the opposite way compared to Abraham. Like we talked about earlier, Abraham followed, and he learned, and he trusted. And for the most part, the way that we structure our faith today is we try to learn our way to trust. And then once we get there, if we get there, once we trust, then we'll follow. We treat our faith as an exercise in learning more than we do following. And and most of our church experiences are at the root of that. Like, I'm not sitting here suggesting that, man, that's on you, and that's on you, and that's on you. And you just think about the church experiences that we've all grown up with most of what the church has had us doing is coming to a service like this and you listen to somebody who really knows the Bible well and teaches you the Bible and then maybe you get connected to a Bible study and, and the purpose of that is to learn more about the whatever the teaching was for that week and so all of those things are, are learning exercises that the church is having you do. in so many ways, this problem paralyzes us as a church today. We have fallen into paralysis by analysis. We have so much information. There's two ways to look at it. We have so much information that we can never get to the end of it, and so we just keep going forward on, inside this information. Or the other side of it, too, is we're never going to have enough information to know for sure, right? We're never going to have all the information to have zero doubts about God or about Jesus. And so sometimes we just we never get there. Either way, both of these things prevent us from really following Jesus. They keep us from moving, from acting, from doing, from going. It's a lot like Kevin's illustration from last week. Okay, so tell him I did this, all right? I'm going to do this illustration again. Anybody remember the car I was driving? Porsche! Porsche. My, my, I don't even know, people ask me afterwards why I said that. I'm like, I don't know, I don't even like Porsches. It's just the first thing that popped into my head, right? So I'm driving, I'm driving into this roundabout. The, the illustration was the roundabout. And so you get to this roundabout, and in our story right here, this is, man, you, you, something happened, and you got curious about, about your faith, right? And so what was the first thing that you did when you got curious about your faith? Anybody? Investigate. Investigate. Did you go to a church service? Yeah. Sorry, I was hoping somebody would say, go to church. I should have just answered it. That's what I did, right? I got curious about faith, and I'm like, okay, I need to find a church. I need to learn from a pastor. And so I go to church service. And I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm driving. I'm not running. So I go to a church service. And then the second thing that happens once you get a little more comfortable with being a part of the church is then you go to a small group, right? You go to a, you go to a Bible study. Say, then you're in a Bible study. I started running again. I'm driving. I'm driving. So what happens is, and, and then we feel like this is it. We feel like this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so we just keep going around and around and around and around. We do Bible study. We go to church services. And we're getting, we're in the information. But we never really stop, right? There's a point where Abraham, and this is what we can learn from Abraham. Abraham had enough information. And he didn't wait to get more information. He said, all right, I got enough information. I'm going to go, right? And I think that we have enough information, right? We know who God is. We know what he wants for our lives. We know what he's done and what he's sacrificed. And and if we don't ever step out, right, into the calling that he's given us, how are we going to know we can trust him? Because I've encountered this a lot of times in my life, and there's been so many times where I've been like, man, that is scary, but okay. And, And I can't think of a time when God hasn't shown up. Now, it's not always in the way that I anticipate or think that it's going to happen at the time. But looking back on it, I'm like, man, he can be trusted. There's no question about it. But we never know that unless we step out. If we keep doing this roundabout thing where we're just gaining information, we're, we're just going to be paralyzed. We're never going to know if we can really trust him until we actually step out and do what he's calling us to do. And we don't have to be perfect at it, and we don't have to have all the answers, and we don't even have to have zero doubts. But we have what it takes to step out. And we have enough information to do it. Here's another analogy that I thought about this week. Okay, so think, think about it like dating, okay? Almost everybody in here has had this experience and can relate to this, except for maybe our younger people that are in here. My daughter especially better not have any experience with this. Um, so think about it like when you're like dating. Okay, so whoever you've met, somehow you've gotten some kind of information about them. And you've said, OK, I've got enough information. I'm interested in at least going on a date with them. And so you go. But you don't know everything about them, right? How do you learn? How do you learn if this person is somebody that you want to be with that you think that you can trust them? How do you learn that stuff? You only learn it through experience, right? You make yourself vulnerable. Or in Jasmine's case, you tell me all kinds of things on the phone for two hours and see how I react. And then and then if I stick around, no, I'm kidding. Um, Jasmine and I had a lot of interactions like that in the first couple of weeks that we dated, where it was like, okay, so, you know, we're, we're in our 30s, so we know what we're looking for, and so do you fit this, do you fit that? And so we had a bunch of conversations, and I did the same thing to her. I shared things with her, and she stuck around, so I'm like, okay, I can trust her. But you learn these things through experience, that when you're dating, you put yourself out there, and you see how the other person reacts, and that's how you know if you can trust them or not. And the, th- the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus, right? Just... Okay, let me time out for a second. What I am not saying is that being in God's word and learning th- about Jesus through reading the Bible isn't important. It is important its so important. It is one of the primary ways that we can relate with him and, and, and there's a, a, just a daily rhythm of, of being involved with him that way and I, I believe in that 100%. So I'm not saying throw your Bible away, you don't need it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we do that at the expense of acting way too often. We We have enough, what we don't need is another Bible study. What we do need is more getting out and doing things for God on his mission. I got way off my notes, so let's see where we're at. (laughs) Um, Bottom line is this, the best way to know Jesus is by following him. The best way to know if you can trust Jesus is by following him. That's how Abraham figured out that he could trust God. He learned through following. He stepped out. He saw God show up. He messed up. He saw God's forgiveness when he messed up. He doubted, and he saw God's patience. And and that's the God that we're going to see when we do this too. God called Abraham to completely reorient his life, and he responded. And in some ways, that's what Jesus is calling us to do too, reorient our lives. Now, he's not asking all of us to just up and go to a foreign land, although he does that with some of us. I have a friend moving to Africa. She believes that's what God's calling her to do. But for the vast majority of us, our reorientation isn't about location. It's about purpose. It's about focus. And I think for the most part, we've let our faith reorient our Sundays. But that's not what God's asking us to do. He's asking, he's asking us to reorient our every day. Every day for his purposes, he is calling us to love him, to love people as we would ourselves, and to point to Jesus as we do it every single day. That's how God's asking us to step out. And I think as as we wrap up today, just something to reflect on for this week because we're not perfect, we don't need to be perfect. If you were to reorient your life, if you were to step out in faith as Abraham did, what would that look like for you individually? Because it's different for all of us. We're different ages and different places and all kinds of stuff. If you were to live your Monday, for example, just your Monday for God's purposes instead of your own, what would that look like? What would be different about what you would do? What would be different about the way you would structure your day? What would be different? Maybe it's as simple as, Praying for people that we work with. Maybe it's changing the way that we treat certain people. Or simply being aware of people and dropping whatever it is that we think is most important and and making them the most important thing. Maybe it's just setting yourself aside for the sake of another or giving your time to somebody you normally avoid. Listening to somebody that you don't like to listen to. I mean, there's numerous examples. They don't, these aren't huge things. They don't have to be huge things. And we don't have to be perfect at it. And we don't have to have all the answers, but we do need to be aiming at the right thing. And, and, and the right thing is God's purpose. It's loving him and loving people and pointing people to Jesus. That's the right purpose. And I think if we aim at that right thing, we may not hit it every time, but we'll hit it more than we miss it. And that's what it's all about. Progress, moving forward. Our faith doesn't have to be pretty, but it does need to move forward. Let's pray as we close. Father God, thank you so much uh, for who you are. Thank you that you can be trusted. Uh, thank, thank you for the ways that you've shown us that you can be trusted. I mean, we, we have evidence of, of how you've interacted with all of these different people through, through history. Um, that we call the Bible, that we can read and we can study. Um, but we also, God, um, can relate with you in prayer and through talking to you. And and God, I just pray that you would give us the courage to, to not stop there. To If we have this feeling of you want us to do something, God, that we would step out. We can't do it without you. We need you, your strength, and your courage to fill us and and, and help us with that. But God, once we do... I have absolutely no doubt, God, that you're going to show up. Because that's who you are and that's what you do. You have been so patient through history with us as we have chosen other things. Um, And you still sent Jesus for us. You love us anyway. Um, God, what we want to do at Finding Life Church is is we want to be a church that is not about us. We want to be a church, God, that is about people. People that find you, that that see us living the way that we live and say, what is that? I want that. Because we are living our lives filled with the Holy Spirit on God's mission. We want to be people that are out serving and sacrificing and loving people in ways that people just aren't used to and aren't comfortable with. And that when people say, what are you doing? We could say, we're doing it because this is what our God's done for us through Jesus. Help us to be those people, God. We can't do it without you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.